but there's something quite serious about that that moment of picking up a lemon and smelling a lemon because that intake of breath and that moment that's all you're doing is you're smelling a lemon you're concentrating on doing that and it kind of like takes you away and focuses you so get a lemon and smell it hello i'm dave i'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together i need to get better please make me better i want to get better 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 acquainted with you today we're getting better acquainted with joe hello joe hello dave (laughs) it's a bit like what you were just saying off mic because you do podcasting and you were saying that you had a guest who went suddenly on mic like on live radio type voice i feel like i might have just done that just now no well i feel i feel this like mild growing sensation from like inside of my chest and kind of like the pressure of when you're actually like on live radio (laughs) you kind of like zone out and go into this your thought processes change yeah and actually this is one of the reasons I most wanted to do this is because I do a lot of interviewing of people and I'm really into how you can get better at doing that and actually I've very rarely been interviewed from the other side so I think that will help me (laughs) to uh (laughs) be more sympathetic right or less sympathetic yeah well, I, it's yeah, power. it's definitely worth doing from both sides. I've I've done a few situations where I've been the the guest on somebody else's show, the, the interviewee, and uh, I I really like it. I've come, I've got grown to like it because I can relax. Like normally when I'm doing a show, I have to be thinking like it's my responsibility yeah. to keep this conversation going. When it's somebody else's conversation, I sort of like I can feel myself like stretching and like kind of like it doesn't matter if I talk too much because that's my job yeah (laughs) so the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me how do I know you we did a podcast training workshop together yeah it's it's a very strange thing I reckon to people who who aren't in the podcast world that sentence (laughs) and we we went down to Kent and we did a class teaching a kind of split group of part RSA professional charity workers who were kind of into podcasting. Yeah, and the arts. They were, in, they were yeah. into the arts, they were yeah. into podcasting, they all listened to This American Life and yeah. they, they think <laughs> podcasting's cool. And then some service users who are in various different states of drug rehabilitation and it was a great day. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a really interesting mix of people yeah. and precisely because... One half were podcast knowers and lovers, and the other half had very little idea of what podcasts could be. And so it was really exciting to see them sort of discovering what podcasts could be. It was very interesting because the people who knew about podcasting had such strong ideas about how to do things and what they wanted to get out of it. And the rest of them were very... Some people were very sceptical. Yeah. Two or three of the people worked in like health and worked in hospitals, and they had very stressful, important jobs there was this definite feeling of like right what are you two here for what are you doing yeah. why is this important why is this worthwhile are you wasting my time yeah and you could see throughout the day that they just kind of got into it yeah. and liked it and realized what it was about well, but i think part of it was that they didn't feel like they had anything to contribute as well yeah. they didn't feel like making audio pieces or whatever was something that was appropriate for them and it was really nice to see them kind of realizing that hey yeah Actually, 
real people's voices, real people's stories, real people's ideas work really well in podcasts. But I mean, by the end of the day, we did we did a morning of training. Yeah. And by the end of the day, they everybody had made programs which were twenty minutes in length. Yeah. They all were almost good enough to broadcast. Yeah, definitely, I think so. Definitely good enough to broadcast in the like cloud or whatever. Right. And there were people. There was kind of journalistic because everybody knows what radio sounds like so they can actually just do it really well yeah. and people were doing little bits of comedy writing and all sorts it was really it was yeah. really really interesting that the kind of like learning curve was so steep and by the end the enthusiasm was just like three people never met before were agreeing i don't know if you know this actually but they were talking about meeting up every friday to kind of write a sort of comedy drama sketch show together, wow i didn't know just, that yeah i didn't know that like one of the people from the RSA that was there, Susanna, last Sunday I was a guest on her podcast. So she's getting letters. that. To, yeah, her, yeah letters, that, letters that are never sent. I'm not sure what the name's going to be. And when it comes out, I will be promoting it all over the place. But it sounds it's really interesting good. That, it's the, but again, she's like the classic. That's the right. classic like NPR. Right. I've got an idea. It's something like the letters Here's concept the framing, is something. Yeah. It's like that's a human communication and it's... Um, it's nice and it's got lots of potential for kind of interesting stories. Yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to listening to that. Well, I, yeah, I, I am too. Even if even if I am on it, and it's mortifying because the letter was like from when I was 14, and oh, uh, I was I'm, I'm mortified by my 14 year old self. But I guess it's I guess that's, that's I want my, that's I just okay. have no interest in knowing 14 year old self. No, no, no interest. <clears throat> in stay in 1999. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a strange. It was strange to read something written in my own handwriting that wasn't wasn't me, because <laughs> the handwriting has stayed so the same. But lots of other things about me, hopefully, hopefully, have changed. I don't know. I don't think people actually change at all. This is what people keep saying to me. It kind of that mortifies me as well. I have this. <laughs> my reason for saying this, like, when I was five or six, my two best friends were twin brothers, and they used to wear the same clothes and nobody could tell them apart apart from us because we spent a lot of time together and like even their parents would be like uh right mass and mass come i mean they could obviously tell the difference but most people couldn't teachers couldn't but we really did and all up growing up through primary school we always had this kind of joke that one of them would become a international playboy and the other one would be a bank manager. What's really, really interesting is that's basically exactly what happened. They had that kind of like route through life exactly how we kind of knew they would when we were like six or seven. I know what you mean and I, I think that there is something about us maybe that, that, that remains the same for our lives. But I think they will have changed in some ways, like for the oh, better yeah, people, or the worse. Right. People change. That's like, what I hope. The stuff. <laughs> that happens to you changes right but i think like there's something about the way you respond to a situation which doesn't change yeah well also i think you can grow to understand how you respond to situations more and that yeah. can help you to sort of like find the best way to, to to deal with situations so the second question that i ask everybody is what do you do now which it's kind of an interesting question. What do you do now? Yeah. Is this a kind of like us, meeting someone at a party? You're yeah. Like, what basically. Do you, okay, what's your name? What How do you, you do know? now? Johnny. It's the question that everybody asks you when they're trying to get better yeah. acquainted with you, you see. And lots of people say, there's a thing I've noticed that people go, oh, I just hate that question. It's so boring. Yeah. But actually, it's the only question you want to ask, isn't it? 
that question was I thought it was just going to be a basic setting the audience up with a slight idea of the kind of person I was talking to but in fact sometimes it's the entirety of the rest of the conversation from when that question is is asked sometimes that's like a history of someone's working life or like really fascinating responses to that question some people hate it but that's interesting too well if you're if you're a doctor that's easy you say I'm a doctor and people know what that is they kind of know what you do every day they to an extent know what your life is that you must have gone to doctor school yeah which is eight years and then etc 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 so shall I try and answer this question yeah go for it I um so I've just gone freelance this week me too yeah (laughs) (laughs) but in so in in terms of like trying to describe what I do I don't I find that very difficult because I've never I've actually have a ne- never had an idea of, of what it is I want to get, like the place I want to get to, the journey I want to go to. I've never seen a point and thought, right, there's a place to go there. At kind of every point in my life that there's been, I don't know, like finishing school and like even like choosing A-levels and that kind of thing. I've always just sort of jumped to the stuff that I think is the most interesting and kind of broad. And that led me to what I've been doing for most of my 20s on and off is project managing graphic design which is actually something I kind of just fell into when I finished uni and needed a job but I think that has that has grown in the fact that I've stopped doing that and came back to it and now I feel comfortable kind of describing project manager with like a focus on design and branding as you know like what I am I'm, I think I'm comfortable as that being my profession almost okay and for me when that question gets asked to me I, I feel find that I'm ambivalent because, well, not anymore because I'm a freelance, whatever I am, storyteller. But before that, I would always be like, well, I'm not defined by my job. I'm defined by my interests, but what I am, like I'm a writer or whatever, or whatever I thought at the time, but I don't get to say that. I have to say I am a, you know, library assistant or whatever. Okay. Like, how do you, how do you feel an ambivalence about that? Or do you feel like that kind of fits the interests that you have generally in your life? Do you mean like project manager design? Yeah. No, I, I see that as a kind of professional like tag yeah. that I've become comfortable with. Right. I don't know, the interests in my, I have lots of interests in my life. And actually one of the things about going freelance is I want to bring all of those things together. Yeah. And actually what I'm finding is that the project managing is something which is allowing me to bring these things together. I have kind of lots of sort of opportunities coming up at the moment, but the thing which is actually kind of the glue allowing me to do this stuff is the fact that I've got that experience. Yeah. And the other things I'm interested in are radio and storytelling and memory and how humans think of themselves in terms of storytelling. And smell is the other thing I'm really interested in. These are all kind of, I can see the, the kind of the connections between all these things and how they fit very well together, but they are mm. kind of like disparate interests that I've had, which I've kind of pursued independently. But what I'm, what I'm finding is quite exciting, actually, that all of these things I, I'm interested in, I'm kind of, almost without consciously doing it, finding a way to bring all these things together. Mm, that's really interesting. Um, that's hopefully, I mean, that is... I say hopefully that is how I feel at the moment as well like all of my my disparate kind of art arty things that I did in different mediums I now feel like it coming together 
with this freelance and I'm able to sort of like see how they connect. Although, you know, the thing that makes you nervous is it's not enough for you to see how they connect. You have to have other people also see how they can connect. That's what the project managing stuff gives me. Right. Because there's obviously a big part of working in that industry is selling your ideas to people and knowing what kind of budgets people have and what they want to achieve and how you can and do that. So I'm actually quite comfortable with the yeah. the, the working things into things and then and then selling it in a way that people are hopefully going to to buy. Yeah, well that's a that's a handy thing to to have skills and like an ability to do as well. Hopefully I'm going to have that. We'll see. I guess in the last 5 years what I've become is a bit of a hustler. And actually it's interesting what you say about this idea of of you don't change that much. Like even though I'm quite anti-capitalist in my politics. When I was a kid, I was always thought of as like the, a, a bit of a hustler. Like uh, my dad always talks about this time when we went to a uh, like a, a car boot sale and I went off and like sold loads of the stuff to loads of people. And may- maybe that's a skill that hopefully I can bring in now as a freelancer. I, I'm never like that. Maybe that's the, the thing that I can bring to the table that will allow people to see what so I think that's a very natural part of you. Like you feel quite comfortable doing that. There is like the thing about hustling is that it's just about like kind of you work and 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 work all the time and I I'm not I don't think I am naturally very good at that but I've kind of had it grafted onto me through the like like kind of squeezed out of me through the like day-to-day pressures of sat at sitting at a desk with these things that you need to achieve it's almost like working through a spreadsheet tick 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 and I did that was not comfortable with that but I became very used to being part of that process right so now that is it's just kind of got. it's part of my process so in my freelance work I can I almost just naturally will go through that stuff and I'm not comfortable like calling people up and saying I want this much money to do this thing but I can do it yeah I don't think I'm comfortable with that but I think I can do it but I think what it is is when I was a kid I didn't have all of the social anxiety around it and so Maybe that's why at that point these kind of qualities were seen in me that I didn't until recently realise were possibly still there because I didn't really know how to how to hustle in an honest way. I think when you're a kid, you're very honest and you're not like trying to sell someone a line. You well, at least I wasn't. I'm universalising unnecessarily. Whereas I've now got to a place where I can go out and be genuine with people and still convince them rather than kind of going up to people and trying to sell them a, a line. Well, it's I not like, sort of I don't think it's, found, it's not exactly like, it's not no, like I'm not, a line, yeah. there's nothing that necessarily... Yeah, but it's, it's realising that, like, I, it, that for me that was a big realisation maybe about three or four years ago of like, oh, I can be myself and that's absolutely fine. People are absolutely comfortable with that. In fact... Well, obviously, people are much more comfortable with people just being themselves. Right. In fact, yeah, it makes them more comfortable. Whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that's going to be the thing that gets me through. We'll see. Even really uptight, officious people, if they're naturally really uptight and officious, I'm, you know, I can... I'm more comfortable being right. that if they're just being, being themselves. Yeah, well, that's what I've come to learn on stage and stuff, actually. It's like, if I'm on stage and I kind of own that, and I say, like, I'm awkward, this is... Like, people really like that. They like the fact that I'm kind of being open about something that maybe they feel, but don't 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 want to express that much. And networking, for example, used to be a word that scared me. I still don't like the word because of the bad connotations, but 
what I found was if you go to a sort of networking event and you say to people, I'm really rubbish at networking, I just have no idea what, what the hell to do here, you have some really good conversations yeah, because with Because everybody people, feels right? everybody feels the same. Yeah. Because it's awkward. It's yeah. ridiculous. You like I mean it makes sense there's a so that you go to a networking thing arranged around, I don't know, pick a subject. Yeah. You know everybody's there for the same reasons. You probably if it's if it was a if it was a radio thing and I was in this room with people, I would know who two-thirds of the people were I'd probably like met them before but even then like the kind of just like how do you start it how do you start it off unless you have like day-to-day friends with people yeah well that's and it. what do you talk about because essentially everybody's there to get something off each other yeah really and not in not in a bad way no but there is the feeling that, that but that's what it is and it's weird realizing as well that like that's the thing like I think you can make the mistake in those sorts of situations of thinking uh it's all about you trying, like, you don't sort of, you start thinking of the other people not as fully rounded human beings. Like, you think of yourself as like, right, I'm in this uh, horrible social environment where I've got to work out how to communicate with these people and get what I need, you know, I need to prove myself to these people. Actually, nobody needs to prove themselves to anybody, but you can have some really good, you can have a conversation with somebody who's got a life and probably is anxious and they've got other issues in their lives as well. And it's ridiculous to sort of kind of put it in that kind of almost confrontational way of like, I'm winning the, winning the prize from these people. Some people just love that game. Yeah. I really love the game. Yeah, they do. But I, I, I can't, that's, that's not, that's not a game I can play. Um, I'm not I'm not sure it's a game that I want to play either. No, me neither. But yeah. I think I I think I can I can see that the 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 kind of enjoyment and satisfaction people get. So you've got like a variety of fascinating interests that I. Oh, well, thank you very much. That, I mean, I I I and I want to. That's what I want to try to work out how, which ones to go to first. I mean, I guess the the first of your interests that I knew about is is smell. I guess because of your podcast. So. Yeah, so what is your podcast? So the podcast is actually... That's a really good example of like bringing these two things that I'm interested in together. And I mean, we can talk about why I'm interested in smell later, but let's just take it as read that I'm interested in smell and I'm interested in radio. So very straightforwardly, my podcast, Life in Sense, is a... It's an interview show. It's quite a standard interview show, really. I talk to interesting people from a variety of different worlds and professions about their life so from their growing up to what it is that they're doing now um kind of like this i guess but the the kind of device that i use to get people to talk about their lives is through their memories of smells so for example the first question i would normally ask would be what's the first thing What's the earliest smell memory you've got? So if I ask you that now, Dave, what's the what's the first thing you can remember smelling? Well, this is the thing. I don't know how much I live in the world of scent. I know, uh, no, 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 no. But just try I'm and trying. try and think I, about no, it. No, no, no. I know. Something. I am trying to. This is all. This is the bit that on the podcast because it's quite a heavily edited podcast. This is all <laughs> the stuff which is definitely this conversation, which I have quite a lot, is definitely cut out. I mean, I mean, if you kind of, you can think back to school and like picture yourself being at school and I'm sure there will be certain things that just come to you. I don't know, because I, mean, 
I've got visual memories from very young of certain places. I mean, I know that I like smell because, I mean, I like the smell of coffee, I like the smell of mustard, like I'm aware that I like smell. But I, I mean, because I, I have thought about this as well, I've, I can't really work out the first, I mean, I, I really can't, and it's funny because I'm the one who's known as the one with the better memory out of me and my girlfriend, but she, she would be able to answer this question like straight away because she, she lives in sensory memory and sensory I don't touch I can remember touch memory much more because it's interesting I think I mean visual and touch yeah the thing the thing about I think if you thought about it for a long time you could get a starting point and that's actually the starting point and the reason that the podcast is interesting is because I quite often interview people who are they're very good at being interviewed because they often have to do it for their job. They're the kind of people who have got a thing they do and they promote it quite a lot, which is why they're interested in coming on the podcast and why they're kind of good value. But you will get somebody who will remember a holiday they went on in the south of France just through talking about it and they'll remember the smell of the sea and the smell of the, like, grass. Okay. And, like, and then that, that, that builds up the whole, they can, they, they're they in this world where they can hear the cicadas going away and there's that kind of the feeling of the, the, the like, heat on the patio. Wow. And it kind of, they, they're in that world and then that will make them think of another time they were in that place and another time and that will make them think of this person who they haven't seen for a long time. So you kind of, you go in with them thinking they're going to be taught, spoken about their life as like this straight line that they're very used to articulating okay, in a well, very professional way but the kind of the smell memory because it's so it's almost subconscious you end up going off and that line will kind of wiggle all over the place and go off in different tangents and you kind of get a very different impression about somebody's life because they they're very naturally going through that process of accessing their memory in different ways okay. just by thinking about smell right not even I don't come in with, actually I sometimes do, but generally I don't come in with like eight different scents and get people to smell them and say talk about that. But even the process of just thinking about smell really just kind of takes people back to this kind of nostalgic. And the other thing about it is really nostalgic. So I kind of go a bit over the top with overlaying this kind of like romantic music and soundscapes and stuff because it just, it fits in with the kind of thought processes that talking about smell well, I mean, I, I guess I've got one now. So there you go. <clears throat> but I don't know. It, it, the thing, the reason I didn't think of it initially is because it's not that early, and I'm sure I've got earlier memories of smell. But the the, the smell that kind of dominates a lot of my memory is the smell of geranium and essential oil of, of geranium. Because my mum used to be into aromatherapy, right stuff. And when my, oh God, right. When I moved to Coventry, my mum and dad were going to live in separate houses. And on the first night, my dad was going to stay over so that we'd adjust and then he was going to leave. But my mum and my dad had a big argument. My dad walked out and stormed off down the street and I ran off after him. And he was like, no, like we live in separate houses now and I've got to put some boundaries down and I've got to go. I'm sorry. And so I 
was very sad and upset and angry and upset with my mum because I blamed her for this. I'm, I'm not sure where that blame should lie now, but that was my blame then. I, probably still around my mum-ish area, but she was under pressure or whatever. More context as an adult, I'm sure. And I wouldn't speak to her and I sort of sat on the, the settee being like sad and my stepdad, who generally in my childhood is not a comforting presence was comforting and I remember the the physical touch like memory of him putting his arm around me and like being sad but feeling like somebody somebody understood something of what I felt and then my mum I don't know why decided to deal with this kind of traumatic event by massaging my feet I was eight I guess eight years old and she used geranium so I can that I I remember that smell because I didn't want to look, so I had my eyes closed, I didn't want to see her, but this smell that she was providing, I guess, somehow did get into me and calm me down and take those yeah. slightly, <clears throat> take those tears away, yeah. So I guess that's an, an so it's mixed up with a lot of other That's memories. quite complicated, isn't it? Because right. that's also, the other thing about that is it's um, the kind of, the, the thing about aromatherapy is people don't really know how it works, but so geranium oil is supposed to have these like specific qualities, qualities right? So she'll have been trying so to use those yeah. effects. She'll have been, she'll have read whatever was on the bottle. I, I probably should know what they do. But yeah. To be honest, most things are like calming, relaxating. Um, yeah. Help circulation. They all pretty much do the same. Actually, thing. I think yeah. I, can, I mean, now I'm that's saying not true. this. That's not true. Aromatherapists would be upset with me. Well, uh, <laughs> aromatherapists might be one of your big demographics. That, that's the thing. You're, you're right. Like the more, I, and I'm going to stop because I don't want to dominate this conversation this with my smell actually, memories. Like, I, but I can. There's links to other things I could say. Yeah. Other earlier ones and all to do with, yeah, all to do with those kind of smells. But yeah. And if I'm doing an interview, it's been known that people I've never met before will will be still talking three and a half hours later because they've kind of, they've just opened up and they've got, they've accessed this new part of them they, they really want to talk about. That's and that's, really... that's really, that's really interesting. It's very different to going and, you know, doing an interview with the idea of what you want to get out of it. Yeah. Because I do know what I want to get out of it. That's what I want to get out of yeah. it. Right? But they don't know that. They think I'm in for half an hour. This kind of like, kind of weird, fun media thing. Like I can just kind of like tick off. Yeah, it's probably, oh, yeah, I haven't talked about smell, a lot of them, maybe. Oh, I'll talk about that, you know, that sounds yeah. interesting. They don't necessarily think yeah. about the emotional depth to the conversation or that's the, the artistic other, depth or whatever. That's the other important thing about the podcast for me is that it's obviously promoted as a podcast about smell. You can sort of tell by various different ways who kind of listens to to you and lots of people who listen are people who work in the perfume industry and aromatherapy and kind of like beauty people and that kind of thing but really the podcast isn't about smell it's about people and their lives the smell is just a way to kind of access that Mm. and there is a bit of crossover that because the people who the people who are most interested in being interviewed are people who have a kind of consciousness about smell and know about it and also the smell world is quite it's quite small and like there are people who I obviously want to interview so it does we actually do end up talking about smell for example I think the latest episode is with a distiller somebody making gin obviously smell is a big important part of that and he talked a lot about that and about the processes which it 
interesting themselves. But actually, I think this the more successful podcasts are the ones with people who have no connection to smell at all. Like one of my favourites was with the astronomer from the observatory at Greenwich. There's this moment where he's describing his job as a research astronomer and you need to go to islands right in the middle of the ocean where there's no clouds so you can see up to the stars without anything in the way. And he just sort of described his week being out there very early in the morning, kind of lying under the stars in a big a big kind of dome. He described the the smell of the flowers outside and the kind of the specific quality of the air. And you just really got a sense of what his life was like, which you wouldn't you would never think. Yeah. Because that's what an astronomer does. You kind of just think of them in terms of their work. Yeah. I think it was a really nice access into somebody's experience of themselves and of their life. Yeah. There's so many there's so many avenues. I always think of conversations as like Snakes. like a ro- yeah, like a road and then oh, you road. like you can cross I've got like at the moment I've got like four different ways I could go that four different things I want to ask you. So I'm going to try and hopefully cover all of them, but we'll see. I mean, one of the things I'm I'm thinking about is when you're saying a lot of this is that it's it's easy for me to think of myself as not having access to smell like that's something that is for some reason in my head but the more we're talking about it the more I'm realizing that's not true at all like the big the big thing about smell is that you can you can quite easily train yourself to be better at it right if you're interested in it yeah like there's not the world is not designed for us to use our sense of smell anymore I really hate it when people use when we were cavemen as an example for anything at all. But there were points throughout history where being able to smell was more important because you needed to smell your food to yeah, tell whether it right. was good to eat. We don't have to do that because we Tesco's tell us when something's ripe. Right. And you can't smell it anyway, even when it's ripe a lot of the time. But things like we don't ever smell sewage because... We've got good systems in place now for keeping it away from us. But yeah, in this country. So I think our sense of smell as people, there's a lot of capacity there. Yeah. And we live in a kind of consciously sterile world. But then but, there are, but then even so, like, we do live in that sort of sterile world. And I think we don't think about smell so much so we don't sort of realise we have access to it. But when you were talking, you know, I was really, I was thinking, oh yes, you know, I love the smell of rain, like, on the pavements. Everyone like, loves yeah, that Yeah, I smell. bet that's right. I bet that's a common one. And Because when because I thought that, I thought that's a, that's a common one. And you said earlier on when I was talking about my girlfriend off mic that books is a, a common one, the smell of books. What are the other, like, Coffee. Yeah, coffee's a big one for me. Cut grass. Right. These are almost like the smell cliches. If someone brings them up... Baking bread. Right. But it's interesting that they're cliches, right? Yeah. Why do lots of people like that smell? Right. Yeah. And it's a chemical thing that just humans like them. There there is this thing where sometimes they're just smells that are good that everybody likes and sometimes there are smells that are bad. No one likes them. And there are reasons for that, like shit smells bad you shouldn't eat it right you shouldn't be close to it because it's dangerous so there's that going on but there's also the kind of personal connotations of like if somebody's beaten up in a right in a uh, and thrown in a 
like mulching compost bin, <laughs> like that's going to have like yeah. really specific emotional context for them. Right. So I mean, smell can trigger positive memories yeah. and negative memories, and so that's the thing. And there's also a cultural thing, I guess. Yeah, so some absolutely. cultures will because they've been exposed to a certain smell. Or, I mean, because you, you have that with taste as well, don't you? Yeah. Like, so it's not like natural necessarily for us to prefer one smell or another. But if we've exposed to that smell lots and lots, yeah. we might prefer that. I think so. Well. But and I'm not an expert on this, yeah. so I I should definitely say that. But there are like the smell of coffee is almost universally liked throughout the world. Yeah. Well, there must be. I mean, I think that, that like, that's like, that's, like with and, most areas of yeah. human life, right? There's probably some universal, so like some specific, right? You're right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, but the the other really obvious question that I should have like probably said straight away is, what's your earliest smell? But this is interesting because I don't. No one's ever asked me that, so I don't know. I <laughs> I think I've got to this point of being interested in smell just because, not quite recently, but when I was a, when I was a baby, when I would discover a new object, so I'm just going to discover this coffee cup. Right a baby toddling towards it will like maybe like poke it or they'll like put it in, put their, it mouth in their mouth because they or they're, like right but apparently i used to go up and just smell it is the first thing i did that's interesting because i've worked and, with un- well i've worked with babies under the end of fives and they primarily yeah. it's it's taste like the way they experience the world primarily is taste at that age so that's really interesting that you and i've also people i know people i know sip. really well say that it's a it's a thing I do that when I, they'll go, I'll, they'll, I'll just no, be smelling something and they'll go like, oh, you're so weird. But it's kind of pinned down to, I don't just smell everything, but I do new things. It's still like in my natural makeup to like, the yeah, first thing Yeah, you did it with the fennel seeds on the table and yeah, earlier on. Fennel seeds, I knew what a treat I was going to get. <laughs> but even like objects, I will kind of do that too. As a just kind of natural response. So I guess it's always kind of been there. But it's not something I, I don't know. I've just, I've kind of, it, it was just an interest that followed, I did one thing after another, after another, after another, and it just developed into this. As I was saying, that's how I've kind of gone about everything in my life. Just saying yes to stuff and seeing what things, avenues, things right. kind of come into it, itself. Cool. But what is your earliest smell that you can oh, right. remember? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about. I'm not so I can see it. I actually don't think I can see it that chronologically. But I can. Uh, a really early memory is. Do you remember those? They're kind of like circular rubber, half domes, that you got at the back of cornflake packets. Yes. Well, when you, you pop them through, them upside down, and, you put and then them there, they pop. And then they pop up. Yeah. That. The rubber that they're made of is a really specific type of rubber. I that I I, I recognise that that the smell of that rubber that yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah, and I remember moving house from a house to the house that uh, my parents are still living in, and it was this big, old, dusty. It was a kind of converted. It was a farmhouse, and then it was a hospital, and then it was nothing for a very long time. And kind of being in that house and the, the, the specific smell of dust, which doesn't exist anymore because the whole place has been gradually revamped over the last 15 years or whatever. 
but there's there's one place in the house which still has it's kind of a old servant's staircase and in there nothing's been done to it it's been closed no one really uses it so you can walk up that and you can still get that that smell of what the kind of house was like before the construction which i think is really nice wow it's sort of a nice thing to have in a house you've got you've got this kind of natural thing which you can go into and it'll focus on the kind of the history and the journey of this building which is nice yeah that is nice you proved your own rule there that initially you might say you haven't got an early memory but most people can grab one i mean i think the thing that threw me was the idea of the first and i asked that kind of question to people a lot like when was the first time you remember writing or when was the first time you remember music or i asked my my friend who was a builder when was the first time you remembered constructing things because i i i think there's too much of a focus on when was the first time you were artistic and there's no like value placed on other forms of creativity which i think construction is and when i ask people those questions sometimes i get a really good like evocative memory and sometimes it stumps them and i think the reason that it stumps them is the, this idea of the first you know like you're pretty sure that whatever memory you pick well, it's a gradual, it's like, it's a one, gradual it? like, like yeah. descent into darkness, isn't it? Yeah. As, like... And also memories can get triggered. Like I hadn't yeah. remembered those popping things for ages. Like, and when you described it, I not only remembered the actual kind of physical yeah. sensation, and that's what I mean about being quite physical. I can rem- think of that. Also, memories are but not the smell as well, real, are they? They're, right. They're made right. up. They're not real things. Right. Go so on. I always think about my... Um, I've got a brother who's... He's quite close in age. He's only... 18 months or so younger than me and I've been at parties or like just talking to him and he'll be talking about a a thing that he really liked when he was a child or like a, a, a thing he had and I'm sat there and thinking like this is this isn't this isn't your memory this is my memory this is like this is the thing I did and you've kind of worked it into your thing and then mm. and then I think I now I just don't know I don't know if that's my memory or maybe it's your memory maybe it's both yeah that's the, I mean that's, that's interesting about kind of like collective family right. memory and I've had that experience many times and quite often on mic when interviewing members of my family there's been like oh like I wasn't there or that person was, you know you suddenly yeah. realize new stuff but I mean what, it doesn't matter that it doesn't matter that memory's not real because that are quite real this, and also there was as real it's going to get isn't it you've got to I have mean, something to work with yeah right I mean I, I've come to recently realise I can't think of any memories that aren't false in a way because I see myself from the outside for example when I remember that scene I was describing I see myself from the outside with my eyes shut right I don't see like darkness and the smell I, that's all nonsense that's just mm. me creating a film I'm, in, I'm interested in memory because I, I studied history at university and I studied history at university because I was interested in everything and I had this point of view that history was really just you know everything that had happened which I still believe definitely that that's what that's what history is but a lot of people I did my course with and my teachers were kind of confused by this approach they were like well yeah but like a lot of people in my course ended up like being librarians right and they're very good at learning about there was an element of the, the history that I was taught, which was this king did this, did this, did this, did this. Whereas my interest was always about, wow, what did it feel like to be a Tudor? Right. Or like, you know, the day-to-day life. And you, actually the kind of 
the history world does split into kind of cultural historians and like old proper like macro right. historians. I got really into the history of memory and how how groups of people think about themselves through all sorts of things, through telling stories and through songs and through written history and actually just through the, the process of having families and kind of like growing up as communities within space. And that's quite a long time ago now, but I'm not sure I can remember any of the like writers or studies of anything, but I definitely am still very interested in in that. And I think that that's what I'm interested in about about radio. It's kind of like recording it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Or not even not even the process of recording because I guess I mean that's what you're sort of doing here is a kind of making a record yeah. of of people. So in one way this whole project is an yeah. audio history project, yeah. It's yeah. done within a period of time, people in the future will be able to yeah. see how all of these people existed at this moment, but also they're all time capsules because they're yeah. all coming from whenever whenever they were born. So. Which is the other thing that actually, when I, when I talked about what it feels like to be a Tudor, we keep, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, but we have visual records going back from the beginning of anyone could like draw something. We have like pictures of what history looked like, but we don't know what it sounds like. Right. We don't know what it smells like. Right. And I've actually just remembered something which is was actually really inspiring for me in the way I think about history and kind of what I do now it was a April Fool's news story, which I didn't believe at all at the time, but it was saying that they'd worked out a way to take incredibly, incredibly super powerful microphones and fix them up to objects. And through the still resonating molecules within these objects, they could work, these objects could work as microphones. So you could get a, a like, Roman vase and put it in this machine and through the conversations left in these vibrating well this is a really nice idea you can get a recording of a conversation of a like roman senator and wow. his his wife just in the kitchen yeah and that's what that's why love our history it's that kind of missed mm. missed human experience yeah and there are lots of people doing that like there are people who study what people had in their kitchen and then worked out about therefore what they ate how they interacted with each other and like that's the I'm like interested in that as a as a thing I definitely don't want to do it because the meticulous like having to justify yourself against other other historians and just kind of like complicated technical bleh of it yeah it's not for me but it's just it's interesting how these things fit together. The thing is, you blew my mind on smell as well. When we were travelling back from the training day, you sort of like gave me all of these like killer facts, killer smell facts, and uh, and and a lot of that though was also about memory. It felt like it was about this kind of mist. I'm into the invisible things, right? Radio and smell are powerful and they affect you, but you can't see them. It's like as simple as that. They're quite interesting mediums to 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 play with. I find. I think the thing that was really interesting about when you were talking to me about smell is that we're really aware of how important like visuals are in life. That's what we live in a very visual culture. Like it, now everything pretty much is on screens. And I but it always has it always has been. Well, yeah, I'm sure. But what fascinated me was you were talking about how 
historically smell actually can have a proper social effect. Like you were talking about, I think it was it the French Revolution. Yeah, this guy has this theory that the French Revolution was mostly, like one of the major driving forces in affecting this change was the kind of urban planning of Paris. It's basically about sewage and about where the wind blows and about that's that's the overriding factor that pushed everybody into doing this. And obviously that smell does, it tells a story about social inequality and all this other stuff. But that's not really included in any of the histories of the French Revolution, is it? No. There was also talk about how London was affected like by sewage as well. I mean, like so many of the cities across the world, the actual way that the poor and the rich are sort of separated has, has kind of reflected sewage, which is interesting kind of from the engineering point of view and all of that stuff. But I'd never really kind of thought of it in terms of the smell, in terms of the people who have the least also yeah. having the most overpoweringly disgusting smells around them and living in that kind of environment day after day. Yeah, it's, again, it's the best way to understand these big politics stuff is to like, kind of whittle it down to like what it feels like to be like a dock worker living in the East End or yeah, like and, a king riding around on a horse. And that, that, that also... like too, eats too much bad food, so he's angry. And, like, right. Uh, yeah, and it, it also fades, it goes over into other things like sound as well. Like, I mean, like you you were saying to me off my you were talking about how quiet it is in Leytonstone where we're recording this. Yeah, I feel so relaxed. It's, yeah, so it's not quiet in other areas of London, and that that loud sound, the the constant sound, the bustle, the overpowering bustle of everything that has a psychological effect on the individual's yeah. experience, seeing that 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 environment, and then that will affect how they interact with each other. And, 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 and you don't really think about the, the, the ways that the other se- yeah. these, these senses can affect you, you know, uh, like day in, day out when, you, when you're in them. And, and similarly, I, I imagine that there are very calming smells and very calming sonic environments that people just happen to be lucky enough yeah. to live in. And, and, and that has a psychological effect on them as well. A lot of the, the, n- the new work I'm going into is very much about this and it's kind of from a branding point of view or a performance point of view taking sound and taking smell and taking touch and just kind of having a consciousness of these elements when you're deciding what something should I mean for a long time design branding is really just about a logo and what things look like right but there's there's a lot more you can do to kind of like work with the whole experience of being alive I think yeah one of the things that you've done is is made perfumes is that is that fair to say uh, you've had some involvement I think, I think perfume is the wrong the wrong Scent. word for what I do because if you want to be a perfumer you need to I mean it takes 10 years or something to train that's the thing about you can you can very quickly train yourself to have more of an awareness of smell and have an appreciation of it. But if you want to be a proper perfumer and make perfume, you need to train a hell of a lot. And I haven't done that. So I'm a little bit conscious of... I mean, I don't I don't want to say that's what I do. Right. But I have done. I have made scents. I've not made them as perfumes because I would feel a little uncomfortable about that because even I can... I can smell the... <laughs> 
the things that aren't quite right about it. So they wouldn't work as commercial perfumes. But I have made scents with performers of very different kinds for events. So I think the thing I was telling you about is I've done some stuff with bands to I sit down with a band and together we'll come up with a, a fragrance, a scent or whatever that is made by them. And the idea is that it's kind of in tune with what they want to project artistically. So it's a scent that is in line with what they're trying to do with this album, which is something that musicians really like doing because mm. obviously they have this whole process about thinking what they, they do and like applying that same thing to another thing is, is kind of like a game and it's kind of quite fun yeah. and it helps them to actually think about what they're doing. It's like putting the music video yeah. to your song as well. There's like, it's it's exactly another the sense. Same. Yeah, it's yeah, adding yeah. that. Yeah. It's kind of builds the whole experience of this thing. And then once we have that, it's projected into the venue. Projected is really visual word, but diffused into the venue. With the idea of just adding this other dimension to this experience of going and watching music and it's, um, it's worked incredibly well because I think I, I've i seen a lot of live music in my time and I, I kind of love it for what it is but oh, there was a time a few years ago where I was just stood at somewhere like Brixton Academy or somewhere like that and just stood in front of a stage waiting for half an hour and just thinking what there's got to be another way of doing this it maintains the kind of that important like there are things you expect and things you want when you go and see yeah. like a rock and roll gig, but also, I just having having this other layer. I just think it's quite interesting. Well, the live gig smell that comes to mind is like so that's important. Like, spilt beer, do you know? Yeah, what I mean? that's not all. That's bad. not well. It's all right. It's a bit. I don't like the smell of gigs. I think it's kind of romantic. I because I do. Like, okay. <laughs> especially when I was a teenager, a lot of the right. music I was into was like kind of defined by its griminess, almost, right, and by its like. DIY punk. I like the smell of sweat, but I don't yeah. like the smell of stale beer. I think. I mean, I'm quite at and home in the middle of a mosh pit. That's all right, but like waiting, well, waiting for the music to start. Like, well, I kind of like that. But I think it's I've, like from from running gigs and yeah. kind of being around afterwards. And I'm always more into the kind of that kind of what a venue smells like when you walk in in the middle of the day before a sound check. Because, really? yeah, rather than the kind of intense moment that it's going on. Because I've been in, I mean, I've run gigs and been in bands and stuff. And I, I always say, it always feels weird when you go in at five in the afternoon or whatever, or four in the afternoon, and you can sort of smell the beer from the day I think day it's great. I think that's, that. the, that's, that's an exciting, that's it's an exciting thing. It's exciting interesting. Smell. It's really interesting, though, that, 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 I mean, here's a smell that has a very different effect on both of us. And we're recognising the same smell. It's just one one of us, yeah. it, it makes shudder, the other one, it makes kind of, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, the, the thing I was going to ask, oh, sorry, were you going to say something? <laughs> that's what you're going to ask, Nelly. Oh, well, the thing I was going to ask about perfumery is one of the things that blew my mind when we were, were talking on the train coming back was you... You have a, a th- you you both revealed to me that most perfumers smoke, or in your experience, and also had a theory for why they smoke. Yeah, well, so I probably need to be a bit careful because this okay, is probably, yeah, like, based sure. on I don't have I don't know a lot of people in the perfume industry, but I the, I have noticed that a lot of them smoke. And I had a conversation with one, and actually I didn't have a conversation. I was because I wouldn't ask this question because it's it's so 
boring and obvious and it's the kind of thing that like if somebody's really tall people go like oh have you ever played basketball <laughs> it's it, it's like that so right. this guy was doing a talk and he was outside and he was having a cigarette and somebody came up and was like oh hello oh it's a really great talk um how are you smoking doesn't that completely ruin your taste taste buds which is kind of, of smell. the question that which I, I think, asked you. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is, <laughs> which I think is, I think is true. But his response was, no, it's absolutely fantastic for kind of clearing out your your brain from the previous smells. It's such a strong, overwhelming scent, which is obviously inside your head, that it sets you up ready to go and smell a new thing the next time, like a palate cleanser. Yeah. That's what he th- he said. Yeah, and I don't think. I don't think that's true. Maybe that is a little bit, but also I think being a perfume is a very stressful, overwhelming job. And I think that's much more likely to be the reason that perfumers smoke, which sounds a bit weird because you think, what, you know, what's your job? You just smell some, some squeezed out bits of flowers, put them together, like fine. But actually it's really easy to get kind of like overwhelmed by this, by the amount of information going into your head because yes we're not really switched on to the kind of detail about smell in our day-to-day lives but if you're a perfumer going to work on the tube you're smelling eight different people's perfumes at the same time and your your brain is so finely tuned that all you can smell is the kind of deficiencies of these things and you almost like have this this feeling of these recipes and you can break all these things down into their individual components and I just think and that's something you can't escape you can't turn that up, that skill off so I had some really great stories about the big perfume companies running getaways in in Greenland and places that don't smell just to like so people can just like switch off and just wow. like cleanse themselves I mean, that makes sense. Do you have that experience? I have that experience in audio terms. Like, I'm always listening to music. I'm always listening to podcasts. But then I suddenly, I'm like, okay, this week, I I just, I can't have any more sound. Yeah. You know, I have to, have to like, not listen to headphones and, and not, not have that constant barrage yeah. of sensory experience. But you can control that. But you that can control that, thing. right? That's the difference. And they can never turn it off. Yeah. Mm, that's really interesting that like story is really interesting I think it's true but yeah it's just it's just my theory and things I've kind of noticed yeah I only, only framed it as your theory um, no I know that but, but you don't want to like yeah I mean it, 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 if you're a perfumer and you feel offended it's not a definite it's not personal it's not personal right what I was going to say before right. is um, so you said you make perfumes and so I don't make perfumes but I do make smells in the same way and actually the other difference between what I do is they probably don't smell like perfumes. They're a bit... They're weirder because they're not designed to smell nice. They're not designed to make people... They're, they're designed to make people feel something. So sometimes they're, they're quite weird and it's right. more likely to be the smell of oil and concrete is something we try to do, do right. for one gig or they're, they're, they're likely to be unusual smells to kind of like make people shift their perception rather than go like, that's a beautiful jasmine. Right. Because you can do that. Like, you could work with a band and you could, a perfumer is an artist. Yeah. Right? So well, a lot of they um, would build R&B artists have their own perfumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like pop stars. Yeah. How much they have an involvement in the creative process, I'm not sure. No, but... Actually, I am sure. Right. But not very much. <laughs> right. But that's actually not completely true because I, I'm, I'm quite sure that, like, Lady some, Gaga... Some had, of them will have... ...was input. very involved right. in her kind of blood one. Yeah. Don't think it probably smells like blood. 
<laughs> but like perfume is designed so a lot of smells that people buy are designed to either neutralize or disguise existing smells like deodorants or whatever or to brand somebody with a distinctive smell that's nice right that's what perfume yeah. tries to do and you what you're trying to do is to kind of create a a smell experience that a statement rather than yeah. a masking or a branding i, yeah. I guess it's still branding it's definitely right? brand- yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely still branding, definitely branding. That's that's what it is. It's because I don't like the smell of perfume very much. Like a lot of perfumes, a lot of perfumes, I don't. Because there there is this kind of perfumey smell, but I mean, I think if you spent a morning smelling different perfumes with somebody who knows about it, you would very quickly kind of lose that sense of it. Okay. I know there's a perfume. There's a perfume based on geraniums, which I know about it smells like geraniums and toothpaste which is just quite interesting interesting yeah but yeah i mean the more you get into a perfume and i haven't really got that much into it the more you kind of appreciate the differences in what it is and the artistry in what people are doing and what's going on and what they're trying to like create yeah but the one thing i was going to say is that even though i'm not going out there to do that Almost everybody who I've done this process with, that I've sat down, given them 20 things to smell and then worked a, a con- concept together and then come out with a, this is what your gallery opening smells like, or this is what your album smells like, or this is what your um, product smells like. Most of them, in fact all, have taken to wearing that perfume as a perfume. Interesting. Which is kind of dangerous because it's, it's actually quite concentrated perfume oils, but that's that kind of... Because it is a branding process of somebody's art, I guess just people feel very... Connected. Emotionally connected to yeah. it, which is great. Because that's what, really, that's what you want from a perfume, isn't it? It's right. like it's self-branding. Right. And I mean... In the... way like wearing clothes is self-branding. Yeah. It's been a, a, a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you, Joe. The last question that I ask people is, do you have anything to plug? Which is a strange one. Well, I, we've already plugged the podcast. Yeah. That's called Life in Sense. And where can they find that? You can find it on iTunes or lifeincense.com. Uh, yeah, have a listen if you're interested. And you're freelance now, so I guess if people want to approach you for any 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 stuff like that, you'd be interested. To yeah, and I'm I'm JoeBowett at gmail.com. <laughs> Obviously, any everyone in the world is. Yeah, it's just accessible. It hasn't got an e in the Joe. That's com- yeah, definitely not. So you, you you don't put an e in. It's the other way that sometimes people take that. Do you have anything to plug? Question because not everybody has got stuff to plug. A lot of the people who I'm talking to, like, that's kind I don't of an really, alien I don't concept. Want to, I don't want to promote myself. I don't want to be famous. Even doing this is a... I did it because I, I was interested, but on one level I feel, like, uncomfortable. I don't want to be a face of anything. Well, it's all right, because this is only <laughs> audio. And anyway, that makes you like most of the people who are on the show. Like, that's one of the things about... If you interview lots of people who aren't trying to get famous, 
it's very hard to get them to like promote the actual shows mm. that they're on. So it's an interesting strategy for getting my podcast listened to more, like continually interviewing people who will never tell anyone that yeah. they're on it. But the other way that people can take that last question, and I was surprised because I didn't expect this when I started, but now I feel like I have to give everyone the opportunity. Like, are you looking to meet somebody? No, uh, well, <laughs> is that they, they, they promote an idea or like a, a point of view on the world. Which, okay. You know, I was surprised that people treated the word plug that way, but I feel everyone needs the opportunity. Well, I just kind of like think about all the like inputs coming into your body and how they make you feel because that's what we've been talking about. We, yeah. I guess we could have talked about all sorts of stuff, but the kind of smell thing and the sense thing is kind of I sort of focus on that experience of like the moment what stuff feels like what it smells like and kind of like what that means live live richer live deeper yeah I like that and hopefully I hope that yeah I hope to be able to do that more in my life I always enjoy it when I do well you do it all the time that's 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 what I mean (laughs) yeah I always enjoy it when I pay attention to the fact that I'm in the moment rather than the rest of the time where I'm furiously worrying about the future or uh, regretting the past. Yeah. <laughs> this this now I really sound like I'm promoting this sort of mindfulness. Right. Which, which is I'm a not. cliche. Yeah. But there's a there's an I, I think it's quite a use like there's something interesting behind that cliche that isn't. No, it's, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's 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 the thing. If you're really paying attention that, to the moment, you're not thinking in your head, I am being mindful. You're just going yeah, oh, no, that's the thing. Actually, okay, I'll leave. I'll leave with this. It's the I'm really, I'm really into lemons as a as the whole thing, everything that they they mean. And there's a I used to have this blog which was pictures of um, people smelling lemons, but there's something quite there's something quite serious about that that moment of picking up a lemon and smelling a lemon because when you're that intake of breath in that moment that's all you're doing is you're smelling a lemon you're concentrating on doing that and it kind of like takes you away and focuses you so get a lemon and smell it wow that's a lovely uh, thought and practical piece of advice for you to do now listeners Uh, the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience goodbye thank you for having me bye everyone you can find getting better acquainted on twitter at uba podcast you can find it on facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.